The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. The sermon text for today is Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, uh, around at them all he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Our text captures two Sabbath accounts on which Jesus first asserts his authority and then demonstrates his authority over the Sabbath. And just to put it in a little bit of context, Jesus has come to inaugurate the coming of the kingdom of heaven, this this year of the Lord's favor, this season of God's grace that will be established by his death in establishing the new covenant that's ours who believe in him. And as such, he will not allow old covenant Sabbath teachings or the Sabbath traditions of the Pharisees interfere with his mission and the grace of God that is ours to be enjoyed by resting in Christ's Sabbath grace. It's ours in the gospel. He just, he just won't put up with it. I'll get to that. My outline is simple. It, I'm just going to look at the two scenes. It's like scene one, Jesus and his disciples in the, in the, in the grain field. That's where Jesus declares himself Lord of the Sabbath. So scene one is, is as simple as Jesus declares himself Lord of the Sabbath. And then scene two, in the, in the uh, synagogue when he was teaching, and the man with the withered hand was there. Scene two, my title on that would be, Jesus demonstrates that he is Lord of the Sabbath in scene number two. And then I'll, I'll close with some conclusions. And that leads me to my aim this morning. 
My aim is, is that you might reflect really in, in two ways. One, I mean, I, I tell you what lands on me anew in this text is the fact that we live in the Sabbath rest that's ours by the death of Christ in the gospel. We live from now on. I'll say more about it. But I want you to think about that and think about the fact that, yeah, we might set aside a day like Sunday as a Sabbath day, but every day is Sabbath. Every day is a day of rest because of Christ's finished work for us. So that's thought number one, aim number one. Aim number two is that you might reflect on how you, how you live with the weeks that God has given you. The Sabbath isn't just about one day. I mean, the Sabbath teaching. Sabbath teaching is about seven days a week. And so how, how do you think about how you live your life and how do you live it out of a sense of Sabbath rest in the Lord? So I'll, I'll say more about that too. So let me pray. Father in heaven, help us with this text. We don't often think much, I don't think many of us at least, think much about the Sabbath or the Lord's Day or how to live in light of the Sabbath teachings. So help us as we look in here. Give us your mind and your help. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We put a couple of things in context. First, let's think about this in the context of the ministry of Jesus and then in the context of the biblical teaching on the Sabbath. You know, in the ministry of Jesus now, you know, Jesus has come. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. Uh, come to announce the good news of the year of the Lord's favor. And as his public ministry is going, his popularity is increasing. And as his popularity increases, his teachings get more and more known. And as his teachings get more and more known, the opposition from the Pharisees increases as well. And so does their scrutiny. I mean, it's, it's as like he's under surveillance. You know, it's like you think, you hear about going to communist countries and they put a follower on you, somebody on you. That's how it is. The Pharisees are just always there. You know, think about it. They're walking in the grain field and out through the grain pops the Pharisees. <laughs> They're just watching all the time. And, uh, and, and we're in this string of not only Jesus establishing his authority, Luke is showing us this in, in beginning in chapter 4, you know, Jesus' authority over demons and paralysis and all kinds of sickness, sicknesses and leprosy and nature and authority to forgive sins and authority to call disciples and they come and authority to heal sin-sick people like Levi. And, and uh, at the same time, oh, authority over fasting. So, as Jesus' authority is being established, so also is his conflict with the Pharisees because they want to have authority over fasting. And Jesus put them in their place in the text we saw last week and, in, and this week Jesus will put them in their place in regard to their sense of authority over the Sabbath. So the conflict increases. The Pharisees, uh, this line from last Sunday's text seemed to capture it. The Pharisees had no thirst or taste to drink deeply of the better wine of the new covenant that's ours in Christ. They, they didn't have taste buds for it. They were so enamored with the old covenant that they didn't even want to hear from Jesus 
or taste of the goodness of the new covenant. So they didn't want anything to do with his, the new wine of his Sabbath rest. So that's the context in the ministry of Jesus. Well, the Sabbath teaching, it's, it's, it's from the beginning, you know? You know where the Sabbath teaching comes from. Back in creation, Genesis 2 says that after God created the whole universe, that uh, he created the whole universe in six days, that then God rested, quote, on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So before there was a law of Moses, God set himself this Sabbath pattern at creation. He worked six days, he rested on the seventh, and it says he, he set apart the seventh day and made it holy. And from that, from that pattern of creation in Genesis 2 comes the fourth of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 where God gives to Moses this fourth of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Exodus 20, verse 8. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. I'll stop right there. So the, the basic teaching is really broad, both in Genesis and in the Ten Commandments. It's very simple. Six days labor, one day set apart to the Lord as a day of rest and worship. Now, the Mosaic Law added more detail to that and more explanation to that. And then also the traditions of the rabbis added even more. And by the time of Jesus... There were numerous layers and layers and layers of religious rules and regulations for how to keep the Sabbath to the point where they were stifling and sometimes even ludicrous. I'll I'll say a little bit more about that in in a minute. So Jesus is going to teach about the Sabbath and we have to keep in mind that He has a a new wine approach to the Sabbath, and it's not going to fit into the old wineskin of old covenant Sabbath keeping. It's going to break. Now, let's get to scene number one. Jesus declares himself Lord of the Sabbath. This is the first scene in the grain fields. The Pharisees, of course, are watching closely for a violation of the law of Moses. Verse 2. Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? You see, Jesus and his disciples are walking through this grain field, probably between the grain fields, like there's a little footpath between the fields, and his disciples are hungry. And as they walked along, they picked stalks of grain. And so they picked it, they broke it off, they, they busted the, the grain out of the, out of the shell, blew the chaff away, and they ate it. The Pharisees say, why are you doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So their issue isn't 
what they're doing. I mean, we might see that and say, well, obviously they're stealing from whoever's greenfield this is. It's like if somebody comes and picks my apples, I'm out there. Get away from my apples. What are you doing? That's not the issue at all because, I mean, I, I really kind of, I kind of enjoy this too. De- Deuteronomy 23. Like, well, no, there's provision for that. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, Deuteronomy 23, 24, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. Don't back up your pickup truck and fill it up. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, here it is, you may pick the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Don't bring the combine to harvest your neighbor's field. But, I mean, it's kind of a beautiful picture for for people who are traveling and hungry, people who are poor, that they could pick from the grain fields and eat. It was okay. It was acceptable. So long as they didn't make a business out of it. So the issue for the Pharisees isn't the what, it's the when. They're doing this on the Sabbath day. That's the issue. Jesus, you and your disciples are breaking the Sabbath laws of Moses and the traditions of the rabbis. That's the issue. And Jesus... He responds, you know, this first little phrase is offensive. I I just want to make sure you see it. I mean, these are the religious experts. They know the law of Moses. They read this. This is their job. They are experts. You want to know anything about the the scriptures? Ask me. That's that's the whole attitude of the Pharisees. Verse 3, Jesus begins, Well, have you not read... What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. Haven't you, haven't you read your Bible? Jesus is citing 1 Samuel 21. Where David, who had been chosen by God to succeed Saul as king of Israel, was on the run from King Saul, who wanted to kill him. You know, Saul, jealous, he's failing, sometimes losing his mind. He's determined to put David to death. So Saul, or excuse me, so David and his men, I don't know how many men, are on the run, running for their lives, and they, they go to this town of Nob, about a mile north of Jerusalem, and they run into the temple for refuge. Excuse me, to the, to the tabernacle for refuge. And since they're hungry, David says, 1 Samuel 21, 3, give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And Abimelech, the priest, replies, saying, we don't have any ordinary bread here. All we have are the 12 loaves of holy bread, the bread of the presence. The synagogue always had these 12 loaves of bread 
sitting there representing God's faithfulness to the 12 tribes of Israel to show that God provides for the needs of his people all the time. So all the time in the temple, there's this bread sitting there, symbolic of God's provision. And uh, it was baked every Sabbath. And uh, so it was replaced every Sabbath. And what did, what did they do with the old bread? Well, the, the law of Moses was, was clear. The, the old bread, the weak old bread, it's probably more like, like uh, unleavened bread, like cracker by that time. Um, the uneaten bread was only to be eaten by the priests. Leviticus 24, 5. And yet... In response to David's need, Ahimelech gave David the holy bread, the bread of the presence, for he and his men to eat to relieve their hunger. Haven't you read? What's the point? Here's the point. If David was free from the constraint of the law of Moses, to feed himself and his hungry men with the bread of the presence. How much more is the Son of Man free from the law of Moses and the rabbinic traditions to allow his disciples to eat as they walk through the grain fields? And what we'll see is Jesus is not abrogating the Sabbath. He's fulfilling it. This account, these two accounts together show up in, in Mark's gospel and in, and in Matthew's gospel, so occasionally I'm going to flip over there. In Mark's gospel, it records that at this point, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, to benefit man, not man to benefit the Sabbath. And then Jesus makes this amazing self-disclosure, verse 5, totally offensive to the Pharisees. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What's he saying? You don't understand the Scriptures? Your, your rules and your traditions that you've, you're upholding and enforcing to define and interpret the Sabbath, you don't get to define the Sabbath. I do. You don't get to define what's in and what's out to interpret it. I do. I have authority over the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath, not you. See, number two. Jesus demonstrates he's Lord of the Sabbath. So he said it in the first scene. We don't know, you know, we don't know in proximity these two Sabbaths, this week, you know, a week apart. We just don't know. Luke doesn't say, but on another Sabbath, Jesus demonstrates he is Lord of the Sabbath. Now he's in the synagogue. So he's teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And in the congregation, there's a man with a withered hand. And interesting, uh, in the Gospels, the three Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke is the only one, Luke the physician is the only one who says, and it was his right hand. I just think, he, it's like, that is a 
cause of suffering when your right hand doesn't work for most people because most people are right-handed. And of course, the Pharisees are present there because they're always present from here on out. Verse 8 says, Jesus knows their thoughts. Imagine they're in the synagogue. The man with the withered hand is over here. The Pharisees are here, and Jesus knows what the Pharisees are thinking. You know what they're thinking? They want to see if Jesus is going to heal on this Sabbath day. We've got this guy. They're thinking, maybe Jesus is going to heal on this Sabbath day. And you know why they're thinking that? Not because they're going to be glad because the man is relieved of his suffering. They're thinking that because if Jesus heals him, we've got him again on another Sabbath violation. So it's sinister desire to see a healing. Verse 8. Jesus, quote, said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's like the last thing this guy wanted to do. Come and stand before the synagogue with your withered hand. The man comes up and stands there. And once the man is in front, Jesus shifts his attention to the Pharisees. I don't know. Let's say they're sitting. Let's say they're sitting right where Bud is. (laughs) He's staring right at them. And he says, verse 9, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or destroy it? It's a question for the Pharisees. And the rabbinic law had a category for, well, you, if you really had to do something good on the Sabbath, you could do something to save somebody's life, but only if it was in imminent danger. So Jesus changes the categories. See that in verse 9? I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or destroy it. Jesus puts doing good in the same category as saving life. And really that word saving has a broader, broader meaning, like, like saving life in its broadest sense. And he puts not helping somebody as an equivalent of doing harm, destroying someone. Jesus is changing the categories. Not, is he going to die if we don't help him today? If he's not going to die, we're not going to do anything. He totally changes the categories. So the question, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? You know, there are these moments when Jesus asks these questions and we get to hear the muttering of the Pharisees. So I'm, I'm climbing into their heads. Or into their little huddle. Hmm. If we answer, of course. It's lawful on the Sabbath to do good and to save life. We will be seen by all the congregation as authorizing Jesus to heal this man. That is not why we came here. But if we say it's lawful to do harm and destroy life on the Sabbath... We will be exposed as promoting evil. 
Mark's account of this event says, Mark 3, 4, they were silent. They didn't say a word. And then Mark adds this, that Jesus looked at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus looked at the speechless Pharisees one more time. And in verse 10, he commanded the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. Now, presumably, the man is overcome with surprise and thanks. He wasn't even asking for a healing. Maybe he thought, it's the Sabbath. I, I, you know, I know Jesus heals, but I don't want to ask him on the Sabbath. So he's surprised and full of thanks. The onlookers are in awe and wonder. And verse 11 says the Pharisees, quote, were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Mark's gospel adds this. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy Jesus. Now, I mean, that line about the Herodians is interesting because ordinarily there would be no collusion between the Jewish Pharisees and the Herodians, you know, the political operatives of Herod Antipas, who was, remember, he, he's the one that John the Baptist called out He's the one who orders the beheading of John the Baptist. But, uh, you know, the saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So the Pharisees buddy up with the Herodians to kill and destroy Jesus. Well, there's our text. And... uh, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He rules over it. He decides the shape that it takes. He decides its contours. He decides what's what's permissible and promoted. He's the one that decides it. Ultimately, he's Lord of the Sabbath because by his blood, the blood of the new covenant, is where we find our Sabbath rest. That old Sabbath was a pointer to the Sabbath that he came to establish. And he came to establish it, not just for one day of the week, but from now, we have tastes of it, till he comes again, when we will enjoy the long-awaited Sabbath rest forever. So how are we to think about the Sabbath as new covenant believers? Well, just by way of operation, tell you how I'm operating and and how I recommend you operate is take your cues from Jesus and from the early church as the early church practices were shaped by the teachings of the apostles. I have four points to close on before we go to the Lord's table. 
So how are we to think about the Sabbath as new covenant believers? Number one, embrace the creation pattern of God in Genesis 2. I mean, it is interesting that it's, it's really a pattern for seven days. Work hard for six days so that you can rest on one day. Set aside a day apart from the others for the Lord. I mean, it's a caution against don't overwork. Don't work seven days a week. And it's also a caution against don't be lazy. Don't rest seven days a week. <laughs> so there's a lot of good wisdom. And, and this pattern for the creation, this for, for human flourishing, work hard for six days, rest the body and the mind and the soul in the Lord one day. I mean, of this, I'm going to say this and I'm going to temper it in just a second. Uh, reading from the New City Catechism, there, here's, a, here's a sentence I want to read. It's, I think a good sentence on the basic Sabbath pattern and how to live it out. I'll, I'll say more about, but New City Catechism regarding the fourth commandment, which I would say is interpreting the Genesis 2 creation pattern, that on the Sabbath day we spend time in public and private worship of God that we rest from routine employment, that we serve the Lord and others, and so anticipate the eternal Sabbath rest that awaits us in glory. I think that's helpful. But now I want to add to that, number two, embrace the Sabbath pattern in the gospel, in the new covenant. (laughs) You know, this is, This is the new wine in the new wineskin. Don't try to put old covenant teaching of the Mosaic law or the traditions of the Pharisees into the gospel. It won't work. Paul says that that such teachings, the ceremonial law of Moses' teachings, were like training wheels. We're like, that's how you teach elementary school students. You know, think about this. Okay, kids, we're going to take a walk. Everybody hold on to your rope. Okay, follow me. Stay in line. Stay in line. We're going to go. <laughs> stay in line. Okay, we're going to cross the street. We're going to go all together. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Okay, now, let's go. That's how he says the ceremonial laws. That's Paul's view. So all these laws about what to do and what you can't do on the Sabbath, he's saying, well, that's elementary stuff. Now that Christ has come and we have the Spirit, we are to act like not elementary school people who need all the rigid boundaries of the elementary school of the law, hold on to the rope, stay in line, follow the person in front of you. We don't need that anymore. We've got the gospel. We've got the spirit. And now we're mature. So we leave that behind, Paul says. It's interesting to me that in Matthew's account of these two Sabbath events, you you know what comes right before these two Sabbath teachings? The two Sabbath teachings are in Matthew 12 and the preceding paragraph, Matthew 11, 28, where Jesus says, Come unto me, all 
soul, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Are you looking for Sabbath rest? Come. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I will give you rest. So it's interesting that the New Testament does not pick up on the seventh day, the Sabbath day pattern of Judaism, but the early church just freely shifted. I think of this as new wineskin. They freely shifted their day of worship to Sunday, the Lord's day. Why? Well, that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And think about this. I really enjoyed thinking about this because I had never thought of it before. In the Old Covenant, people work hard for six days in order to rest on the seventh. In the New Covenant, we start the day with, or start the week with a day of rest. We start the week with a day of rest. Resting in the work of the crucified and risen Christ. We rest up in him and in his grace and in his favor. He's for us and not against us. Our sins are forgiven. And then we step out into Monday. Strong in grace. Not to achieve our salvation. Not to impress God or earn something from him. But because it's already ours. I think that's a beautiful pattern. One more thought about that. If you realize that the New Testament teaching of Jesus fulfilling the Sabbath in himself and the, the fact that the Sabbath was a pointer for the fullness of the Sabbath rest that's ours yet to come, we realize that, wait a minute, when when God created the world in six days, the universe in six days, and on that sixth day, he created Adam and Eve, what was, what was Adam and Eve's first day? First full day? Saturday. Sabbath. Day of rest. So Adam and Eve woke up on the seventh day Resting with God in all that God had done for them. I think that's beautiful. I think that's amazing. And I think it's reflective of the new wineskin of so do we. First day of the week, Christ has done it all. It's finished. (laughs) He's worked for us, for our rest in him, for our enjoyment of God. Kind of like Adam and Eve's first full day. Third point. Do not judge one another, but allow freedom of conscience to one another on how we live this out. You know, just in my normal schedule of Bible reading this morning, Numbers 15 was there. Um, Some guys out picking up stones on the Sabbath. And the people catch him and they bring him to Moses and say, Moses, what do we do with this guy? He's picking up stones on the Sabbath. Moses says, stone him. 
So they kill him. That is not the teaching of Jesus or the teaching of the apostles in regard to how we live out the Sabbath teaching. Paul in Colossians 2.16 says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These things are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. We don't cast judgment on one another in how we live out the Sabbath patterns and practices. Here's another one, Romans 14. I find this really helpful, especially in light of the Sabbath rest that's ours in Christ. Uh, Romans 14, 4. Who are you <laughs> to pass judgment on the servant of another? Very Pauline. He is big on, I am not your master. <laughs> Jesus is your master. It's like, who are you to judge him? You are not his master. He's big on this kind of thinking, and I actually enjoy it, as you can tell. Uh, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And then here comes verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, like the Sabbath. Another one esteems all days alike. He says, all of them are like the Sabbath. All of them are set apart for the Lord. And then Paul says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. But don't go after each other on this. I really get it. In the, I get how you can say, I don't do one Sabbath day. Jesus has given me rest. Like today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And I try to set them all apart as Sabbath days and do them all for the Lord. And another says, no, I set apart the first day of the week as the Lord's day and I try to load that one up. Echoing the rest of the, of the Genesis 2 pattern. Paul says, give each other grace. Let each one do what they're fully convinced of in their own minds. The Lord is their judge. Leave them alone. I'm just really calling us not to be Pharisees toward each other. And then lastly, remember that the Sabbath is a pointer to the full and final rest awaiting us in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4, 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So we are about to worship the Lord at the Lord's table. And 
You know, we practice open communion, which means that you don't have to be a member of this church to partake of these elements, but the elements are for believers, people who believe in Jesus and have received him and are trusting in him and treasuring him. So if, if I were to give you instructions for receiving the elements today, here's how I'd put it in light of this text of ours. Partake of the elements if you are resting in Christ Jesus alone as the fulfillment of your Sabbath, as the one in whom you find your rest. He has done the work. He has suffered and died for you. He has risen from the dead. It is finished. Receive the elements resting, receiving the fullness of the Sabbath that it's ours in Christ, which we taste today, this Lord's Day. And I am thinking about how I might load more things into Sunday. I thought to mention to my small group, maybe we should move to Sunday so that it might help us emphasize setting apart the Lord's, the Lord's Day. Not a law, an item for discussion. Maybe we could set aside the Lord's Day together in a way that would be helpful for our fellowship and for our joy and for our resting for our beginning the week with a sense of <clears throat> so receive the elements if you are resting in Christ's death for you in his Christ's work for you it's finished, it's done you have nothing to work for with God to receive his favor it's done you receive it by faith in the gospel and you eat and drink remembering Yep, it's right. It's true. The blood of Christ was shed for me. His body was broken for me. And in him, I find my rest. Lord Jesus, make it so, I pray, as we go to the table now. Meet us in your grace. Meet us in your rest. Give us this dynamic of faith that rests in your pleasure, in your grace for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.